joining us from Bristol, England. So it's what time out in Bristol right now? Eight o'clock? Uh, no, uh, it's five, five in the afternoon, 5 p.m. Five in the afternoon, I'm sorry. A, a, like an eight hour difference or something, right? Yeah. So five hour difference, I guess. Yeah. So in any case, we're thrilled to have you here. Toby, do you have a copy of uh, the cover of your book you can just quickly show us? Here we go. This is what we're talking about today. Wonderful, wonderful. And I really knew very little about gamification, and, and that's why I was interested in your book. And so um, tell us first a little bit about you professionally. What do you do full time? Yep. So I, I'm uh, like, like, like you, I'm a, uh, uh, I still describe myself as a digital entrepreneur. So I've been working in, in the digital space really for all my professional career in various different guises, whether as a consultant or uh, creating products. Um, so my main job at the moment is I'm working with a digital publisher. Uh, and in fact, I, my main role for them is a, is a marketing. So I'm a sort of the marketing, uh, helping them market their business, both uh, client side and supply side. So that's, that's where I'm, I'm doing most of my actual work today. Um, and what made you write this book? So, so really for the last, so for the last eight years, I've been working on a gamification uh, project. So I have a, a software as a service tool called Rise, which I, I designed and built, which uh, allows people to create their own uh, uh, scorecards and publish leaderboards on the web. And um, I've seen tens of thousands of scorecards. Most, most of them, North American, have come onto our system and they've created these wonderful competitions for their staff or their friends. And... Um, and as part of that, I've also been consulting with businesses, mainly here in the UK, uh, but also some global uh, and American businesses, where we've where we, where we've really just seen how uh, gamification and this process of gamification can uh, can help those businesses to succeed. And so uh, the reason I wrote the book really was to to condense everything I've learned in those eight years into something concise that that another business manager would be able to pick up in a in an hour or two uh, and and really kind of just be able to sort of take on take on from where where I take take over from where I left off if you like and in, in their own world I have to say I didn't I never thought about but gamification has been around what like almost since mankind started and I never even thought about it in, in the United States uh, where our sports is first I, I remember friends of mine have come from Europe and said why is every t TV channel on sports <laughs> and uh, we're right now should be watching baseball, but baseball season's getting started later because of COVID. And frankly, without gamification, nobody could care about baseball because we follow how well the hitters are hitting. The hitters follow that themselves and they try to be better than the next guy. So they're the top rated hitter. And on, on every sport, there's statistics. And that's what drives everybody's interest from the fan just watching it to the players, to the gamblers. I mean, in the United States, um, betting on football is a multi, multi-billion dollar business, but it's all based on gamification, uh, essentially. So yeah. what is gamification? What's the, what's the uh, definition to you? Yeah, so, so, the, so the key, key explanation of it, and I can see Matt Butler asking a question there as well, is, is what is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's game-like feedback on something real world. So it's a gamification in a nutshell is saying, let's take the, 
the way in which you get feedback in a game like baseball and or or like a video game uh, like Call of Duty or something, and that that's giving you this wonderful feedback all the time on how, on your activity and what's happening in the the game world as a response to that activity. But uh, and really, what we're saying is, look, we'd really like those that sort of quality of feedback in our real world activities, whether that's trying to get fitter or healthier or whether that's trying to make our businesses succeed better. So gamification is really the process uh, by which we do that, by which we bring game-like feedback into real world activities. I mean, gamification started since we were little kids, right? You go to school and you get grades, right? That's kind of a gamification. Yeah, and, and, that's, and, that, and that's the key reason why it works so well, is that we're all conditioned. We've all had 18, 20 years of conditioning from school into, into essentially to look at things like a score and say, how can I improve my score? So if I give you a score, you immediately, it, it tunes back into that kind of uh, childhood conditioning and makes you want to improve. So what's the difference between finite and infinite gaming? Yeah, so I, I, I've, the area of gamification I've been working on is, is called infinite gamification. And there, there are two types. So you can split gamification into finite and infinite and uh, infinite. Uh, so finite really is where there's an end. So you, uh, you, 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 you finish the course and you get a, get a degree or you get a grade. You, um, you complete, the, the complete the task, the journey that's been set. Uh, you reach the final level, you defeat the boss, whatever it is that that's the end of the game. And that really, um, that, that's where it stops and there isn't anything else that carries on. Whereas infinite gamification is where, where um, every year, for example, it carries, it, it carries on. You might, you might do well this month, but then do badly the next month. And, but it can carry on potentially for infinitely, infinity. So um, something like a, uh, and, and actually it's the infinite gamification that we actually use more in work when we have something like a, an employee leaderboard or, um, uh, for sales performance, we have a, a weekly sales performance leaderboard. We're, we're very familiar with that. And actually, that's a form of infinite gamification. So what, what uh, industries and jobs benefit the most from using gamification that it, it helps them raise their skill set and success? Yeah. So so for me, I think one of the things that we've learned, well, learned crucial with gamification is that each there isn't a kind of a one size fits all it's it's a technique that that is domain specific and context specific so um each industry each industry will have a form of gamification in it but the the way in which you use gamification there will be different so um so and 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 so for example in um uh in a uh, we've talked about a sales environment we might we might we, there are there are some sales sales roles which where it's most important to see what the revenue is. So it's how many, what's our, what's our, what's our sales revenue? Whereas other sales roles, they which have more of a sort of pre-sales or customer support angle, actually looking at revenue doesn't work. So you have to look at activities or what the what the customer's response is and the the, the promote net promoter score, for example, as a result of it. So what we see is that that each individual context will be slightly different depending on what that organization and what, what those players or the, the professionals are trying to achieve. One of the questions was asked here is, one, um, give some examples of white hat versus black hat gamification. Yeah, so, so really that, it's the, the key here is that I can, I can, I can give you um, a, 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 a score that sends you off to do a particular 
um, um, uh, behavior, but it's, it's only because I'm, I'm manipulating you. So I'm saying, if you, if you do this, you'll get a particular score. So for me, that's what black hat gamification is about. It's, it's the, it's any form of sort of deception that you're using to try and encourage certain behaviors. Whereas the white hat gamification that, that I'm more, which is basic, which is much more sustainable and actually work, works long-term is where individuals are actually engaged in what is the score, what, what, how, what, how do I improve it, but also then how do I improve the algorithm that goes into the score? So it's much more of a collaborative process. Uh, what, why is adoption and performance important? So um, in one of the models that I talk about in the book, we, we, we talk about when we look at the metrics that we give our, our, our team or we give ourselves, actually you can, you can put them onto a four by four matrix. Um, and so some, some, of those, some of those metrics will help us to learn. So uh, for example, um, say let's take um, learning social media, which is something um, a lot of businesses have been involved in the, over the last five or six years. So uh, a, a learning metric might be, have you created your Twitter account? That would be a basic yes or no learning metric. And, I, and it's a kind of a sort of a, it's a, it's a, it's a black or white solution. You've, you've either done it or you haven't. Um, the uh, an adoption and performance is then saying, well, okay, it's one thing to create a Twitter account, but are you actually tweeting? Have you, um, have you, has anybody replied? Has anybody had a conversation with you? So the, the, the adoption and performance is saying, okay, you've learned, you may have learned how to do this thing, but are you actually doing it in your day job and are you doing it well? So that's where, that's where I, for me, infinite gamification comes in because it provides a way of giving us scores and, and, and feedback around those two sort of more developed parts of the, of a process. Uh, how do companies currently use gamification and can they use it to improve performance? And I think you gave examples in the sales side, but how do you use it? on the non-sale side, because that seems like the pretty much the layup, right? Yeah, so that's right. So one of the things that we've seen is, 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 is around, where it's very popular is around um, take up of, of particular workflows or uh, so processes and tools. So um, it, for example, um, so I've, we talked about that, that Twitter example. So if I give a real example of that, so PricewaterhouseCoopers have, have created a, a, um, an infinite gamification program where any of their staff can sign up with their Twitter account to see how they're doing um, in terms of creating a successful Twitter presence vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the, uh, the staff at PricewaterhouseCoopers, so PwC. So that's been a, a good one. Um, the other one which I talk about in the book is, is, is where we've tried it with some, with some um, electrical faults engineers, where, we, we gained, where the, where the um, objective there was was not about was not so, and, and this is why it beca this is why gamification is very interesting because it's it's very different every context and so you can't just sort of take something and say oh that would work here but if I give you the example you'll you'll get a flavor for it so there they they weren't so worried about the faults engineers doing the job you know most people going to fix a fault electrical fault they're going to generally do it safely because otherwise they die they're generally going to do a good job because otherwise the whole thing explodes and blows up so actually the sorts of metrics that they were gamifying were the things that they actually were the things they just needed to smooth or improve. So are they entering the, the time they arrived at the site into the, the computer system so that the, the, the feedback back to the, the rest of the management was right? Are they, um, are, they, are they getting through the traffic to get to the fault in time? And so, so actually the, their scoring system um, that they came up with was, 
was, was, wasn't that related to the job itself, but it was related to the other behaviors around the job that the management felt were important and, and that, the, um, that the engineers themselves also wanted to optimize. Uh, how can government leaders uh, use it for positive change? Uh, because they kind of think that we only hear about numbers when they're running for election and that's how they kind of gamify their, their existence. But I'm wondering, how can the uh, government use gamification to get all aspects of government uh, to be more successful and maybe even compensate them for that? Mm. Yeah, that, that is a good question. So, I mean, governments are, again, governments are all different. So different governments have different, um, different current requirements. I mean, I work with um, the guys in Sierra Leone, the Ministry of Justice, the, you know, the objective there was to get the caseload moving swiftly through the, the, the justice. So we're working with the Chief Justice and he wanted to get the, the casework not to get stuck because one of the problems with, with, with um, justice in a, in a place like Sierra Leone is actually lots of cases can just kind of, kind of pile up and no one gets it, no one can see where they were all stuck. So actually the gamification there was really about giving a score for how quickly they were getting the cases to move through the system because that was the problem. So that's an example where governments can sort of a very specific place can say, okay, well, actually, if we're giving a score back to the, 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 um, the judges themselves and they're suddenly being told, actually, you know what, it is important how quickly you're moving case, cases through, then that is effectively gamifying them. And it's, it's obviously in their interest because they want to see justice done in Syria alone. So that's an example of sort of at a, at a, at a, at a micro level where a government has used it. Um, in terms of in terms of the macro level, obviously, you, as you as you mentioned, you know, running for office, you know, the the process of getting elected is a gamification process. There's a there's a winner and there's votes and things. But um, I think I think another area where governments can take a, a, a take a book a, a page or two out of out of well, <laughs> take a page or two out of my book, I guess, but yeah. take a page or two out of the gamification playbook is where. Um, is where you is where you say, okay, I'm if I'm gonna if I'm gonna Give, give you guys a, um, a score, whether that's all my schools in my district or whether that's all the hospitals in my, in my area or, or the, the refuse collectors or whatever, is, is to actually blend the scores together, blend the metrics together so that, that you're not just sort of narrowing their focus on a single metric. Um, but by, by blending them, you can actually get a better result. So, uh, and as an example of someone, who, an organization doing this, the, the United Nations Development Programme they were concerned that most governments were, were looking solely at GDP as a measure of success. So if, if our country has the highest gross domestic product, we must be the best country. And they were saying, well, that's not strictly true because you can be a country like Saudi Arabia, which is, has lots of oil wealth, but actually you're not looking after your, 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 your mothers um, who, are all dying in, who are dying in childbirth much more than neighboring countries or your children aren't, aren't being educated long enough. So they created this thing called the Human Development Index, which blended those metrics together. And so then the score and the ranking that came out of it was reflective of those priorities. So that's another way in which governments can, can start to use gamification to, to create a better score, I think is the best way of putting it, that, that actually leads to the, to the behaviors uh, that the government wants. And we need them to have better behaviors. How about uh, ongoing training? How does gamification help ongoing training? Yeah, so what do you mean? So, so ongoing training, so, um, I mean, we all need to keep keep training. So, I mean, a, a good example of that, we already have um, continuous professional development points. So a lot of membership organizations have CPD right. points. Uh, and that's an example of 
of, of incentivizing or, or enforcing a, a gamification a mechanism to um, to make sure people keep training, whether they're a doctor or a professional or whatever. So um, I, I think gamification would would look with a gamification lens on that. You'd say that's great. CPD points are good. What are the other kind of micro behaviors that are also a part of that? So it might be not just about attending the courses. It might be about watching the right YouTube videos or the TEDx's or commenting on. Um, commenting on particular uh, papers that are being written that are contributing to peer papers. So there may be, there may be other micro behaviors that can also be blended into a way of giving us, giving those professionals better feedback. And so they can, they're kind of more incentivized to, to continue their ongoing training. Is it recommended to have a carrot at the end of the stick when trying to gamify activity for employees? If you are one of the top people in whatever category you might uh, win something? So this is, this is very context dependent. So I know that in North America, virtually every program has a carrot at the end of the stick. So, uh, uh, but, but that's not the case, say, in, in, in other cultures. So it just, it really depends on your culture. The one thing, the one thing I've observed, though, is that, is that once you put the carrot on the end of the stick, it's a bit like walking into a room with a blind, with a bright light, and everybody goes and they look at the, 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 the carrot and they think, I'm going to, I'm going to move my behavior because that bright light is what I want. Whereas actually gamification is sometimes about having subdued lighting and it's you walk into the room and you, 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 you might not get anything physical or, in, or, or extrinsic as a result of it, but this will help you to, be, to do better yourself. Um, so, uh, and, and it's, it's, I, for me, I've seen the best programs are where the feedback is the reward, good quality feedback that helps me get better rather than say a, a carrot. So um, if you look at the success of something like Fitbit, I, I, I will, we, all, we will use a Fitbit and we will we'll try and get our 10,000 steps a day, but there's no carrot that we get other than the intrinsic benefit of getting fitter. That's true, that's very true. And, and yet there's like, um, I have one where there's balloons going off and, and fireworks uh, to say you've reached your, your number and you, you kind of feel good about that or losing weight. Carrot or stick, are there situations where gamification resulting in a negative or a punishment is preferable to one structured to result in a positive or a reward? Um, so, so, so the answer, the short answer to that is yes, of course there are, because there are some cultures in which you don't want to have... Um, uh, you, you, you know, if, you make, if you make some sort of mistake, it's, it's, it's critical. Um, I, I mean, the one that, I mean, it's, a, it's again, it's a question of, it's, and one of the reasons, one of the things that I always encourage people within gamification is, is again, coming back to it's your context. These in the book are a set of tools and processes for you to design a program that fits for your context. It's not about saying this is how it will work, but yes, there are, I've seen, um, the, the, I'm trying to think of the, what, the one that springs to mind in answer to that question is a very old example, but I, I've, I saw on the board at a, an old English country manor, there was a, the servants, we had, you had all the list of the servants' fines for if they were late to dinner or, or didn't bring the chicken to the right place or whatever it was. So, that, so we do have that. I mean, for, if you take footballers, uh, professional footballers or professional soccer players, there are fines for them for, if, for, for poor behaviour on, on and off the pitch. So, of course, there are examples where, um, where, where you need to have uh, the, stick to, the, 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 stick to, the stick to work. I have to say that without metrics, nobody cares about anything. I mean, if you look in, especially in sports, uh, if 
if players went out and just played the game and there wasn't all these numbers, it would be hard to differentiate between one great player and another. And none of these guys could make a lot of money as pitching people um, Mm -hmm. for different products. I mean, you wouldn't even know who Tiger Woods was. Yes, he won the tournament, and you could say a number of tournaments, but then if you don't have all the numbers that correspond or basketball, so many points, that type of thing is what people follow and buy the shirts and everything else for. Is there, is developing metrics for almost everything considered gamification? So, so any metrics where you're giving the metric to the participant and saying, this is your score is gamification because any participant will look at the score and say, how do I make that a better score? How do I optimize it? So in any scenario, so the only scenario which isn't metric scenario is when you're keeping your own kind of stats, say you're a manager or you're looking at, looking at marketing stats or whatever, and you're not giving those stats out to the, to the person who's, who's doing the participant. That's, that's not really gamification. That's a business insight. That's an analytics, but gamification is where I give you your score and you, uh, you, and, and I expect that to change your behavior. So a government that gives the league table for schools, which they do in this country a lot, that's, that's classic gamification. How do you get to the critic? Uh, how do you get to the critical few measurements instead of measuring a lot of things that are not really of value? Um, so often the pro- yeah, I mean, often the problem is that you, you, is you, 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 you can't count everything that you want. Um, so, I mean, Einstein said it very well. He said, you know, uh, not everything that counts can be counted and mm-hmm. not everything that can be counted counts. You, you, you can't, you can't necessarily get it. So all gamification at some level is a model of, of, of real world. Uh, the, the question really is, would it, what are the, what are the, um, what are the metrics that, that help me a little bit more than um, I'm doing, I'm doing it today. It, it's the, the, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Can, can I, can I get a little bit of, get a little bit more insight that will help me a little bit better? The, my Fitbit doesn't solve my fitness problem, but it does help me see daily how many, how, how active I am at a rough level. By the way, everybody should get your book. It's a very easy read and gave me great insight to, uh, a lot of different areas that you don't even think about. And we're going to talk about some of those areas. What are most gamification based on? Um, so, so mostly it's on, it's on quantitative data. So it's, it's any, anything that can be unquantified. And, and I think one of the reasons that gamification is more relevant today is that there is a lot of data around. We, the, the increasing digitization of our lives, of our work, of the tools, there's sensors everywhere. That, that is leading to frankly more scores and so i suppose the reason i've written this book today and in this this time is because um i would like there to be those scores to be good scores i want them to be well designed scores i want them i want them to have a good impact on us as, as the people who are given the scores and and the danger is that we just get all of this digitization and we get some rotten scores which lead us doing doing all sorts of unwanted behaviors um, when can gamification be dangerous? Yes. So, um, so for example, you, um, if I, so if there's lots of examples of, of da- dangerous gamification. I mean, an obvious one might be if I was running a competition. So, and, and this is a real thing. So the Guinness world book of world Guinness book of record, world book of records, have, they have a, a category for who can hold their breath underwater for the longest. Now, 
that's a very dangerous way of gamification because there's going to for, for, there's going to be a lot of people trying to break that record and there's going to be lots of people who go and there are who who try to keep try to keep hold their breath for too long and die as a result so that's an example of dangerous gamification because uh in the sense that i've i've set a target and i've set a a, a feedback system that actually people are trying too hard to beat um, in a more kind of bit more sort of uh, business context, the classic example I, I would use would be the Wells Fargo uh, instant where Wells Fargo uh, suddenly saw millions of fraudulent accounts being created for their customers because their sales staff were, were looking at the wrong inter were, were being um, incentivized wrongly to, to try and increase the number of new accounts they opened. Uh, how can uh, gamification actually hurt somebody we just talked about dangerous and, and it could be drinking games and so forth, but how can it be dangerous from a psychological standpoint? Yeah. So there's a, there's an element of, um, of gamification and, and, and back to your question of talking about white hat and black hat gamification. I can't, I don't know where I put it. There's a, there's this, there's a concept in gambling called a variable ratio reward. And there's a, there's a lot of psychological, um, uh, uh, work done on it, the main person was Skinner, but th there's lots of different ones. And essentially, a, a slot machine works as a variable ratio reward. The reason you like we like playing slot machines is not is not because I, I pull the handle, uh, you know, 20 times and I get $2. It's because I pull the handle 20 times and sometimes I get $50 and sometimes I get nothing. And that that is an addictive that creates the addictive behavior that variable ratio reward i don't know how how often i'm going to get the reward and how much it's going to be so if i create my gamification system with that with that variable ratio reward in the mix uh, uh, then i'm actually creating something that looks like gambling and of course can create an addictive behavior which which has all sorts of bad side effects particularly for the individual my mom loves slot machines i'm thinking of burying her with one of them when she goes. Uh, <laughs> She does. She loves it. How does the psychology of how different sexes think play into gamification? Um, I don't know. Uh, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to pass on that one. I don't know the I don't know the research on that on on the different sexes. My my understanding is it's not that different. Um, but I, I don't I don't I'm not I don't I don't I don't know any differences or any gender differences in gamification at the moment. So we'd have to find somebody who studied that. I know I taught 10 years at Wharton and there was actually somebody who studied that and wrote papers on that, but I, I don't know the answer to that myself. What, in your book, you write, what, what's the process for developing a meaningful gamification program? And you talk about the process. Yes, so, so, so if you think of your process, I'll break it into three steps. There's always three steps, but it's in analysis, uh, design, and then evolution. And, um, so analysis is what um, you and your listeners will be familiar with is, is really just looking at what's their current, what are you trying to achieve and what's there currently? Uh, I think uh, the, 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 it's the second part of that that people kind of often forget to check is that we're all, we're all being scored an awful lot as it is. So um, if I'm introducing a, for example, a, um, I think I talked about in the book, a, a developer score for software programmers. Software programmers have lots of scores that they get that they get sort of whether they're doing well on something like Stack Overflow or whether they're that you know their code gets a good review. So so when you're introducing a new score, you need to be thinking, okay, you need to be saying, okay, when I introduce this score to to hopefully direct signpost the right behaviors for you, 
what what's the context in which that score is arriving into your life so so that's the kind of the, the, that sort of that so that analysis phase really goes into what what am i trying to achieve where am i going to get the data from uh, and how how will my players how react to it and then the design phase is in the book we just we go through, it's really the way i would think of it is a checklist of different sort of things to think about and the um, and the thing is, just there are different metrics that you can use in your design. There are different ways you can structure the comp. If you want to include a competitive element, there are different ways you can structure it. There are different ways you can structure who, um, how people get join join the, the program. But the key with the design again is to is as long as you've done a good analysis phase, you're probably going to get the design right because you're going to know what your players want and what you're trying to achieve, and so you design something that fits that. And then the third phase, evolution, is the one that most business leaders, and I think this is probably the thing that's freshest in the book that I don't think you, that, that, that is, is, is common knowledge, if you like, is that most people create a gamification system and they think, that's it. Boom. You know, this is my system. This, you get scores for this and I'll push it out and let it be done. But actually the best, the best programs, and if you, and you look at the ones that have lasted, they're the ones that started relatively simple and actually changed over time. So uh, take, uh, you know, and even the games which we think of as, as, as fixed, you know, I mean, something like um, international rugby, for example, the rules of rugby have changed eight times, completely changed in eight, eight times over the last hundred and hundred or so years. And we don't realize that, but actually they've been tweaked over time. And so that evolution phase is also very important to, 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 to say, actually, my end goal is my original objective. I don't, it doesn't really matter what the metrics are and the incentives and all that. All of that can change as long as I bring my players with me, I tell them, I communicate the change in advance and actually we evolve it together to make it an effective scoring system that actually helps us all get better. Um, what is meant by prime directive that you write about in the book? Yes, yeah, so I, I use the term prime directive. The, the main reason is, is, to, is to say that um, one of the things that we we get we get wrong when we design scoring systems or gamification programs is we try we often try and put too much into one program. We try and we try and solve marketing's problems, sales problems, my problems, my domestic problems, all in some single thing, single system. And actually, you don't need to do it. It's very cheap to give someone a score relatively, you know, or, or a leaderboard and a score. It's a very cheap thing to do. So actually. It's better just to, for each program to have its own directive. It's one thing that it's trying to do and then have another one. You could roll it out alongside it that's trying to do something else. You might have one program for this system and another one for that system. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so really the idea of the prime directive is to say, who's, who's really pushing for this program? What is the one thing we want to achieve with it? Uh, what's meant by a, a formal score? Why formal? What's, what's meant by that? Yeah, so um, one again, this so a lot of um, if you take something like HR within organizations, HR do a lot of formal scores. They might, um, you know, an obvious formal score is what salary someone gets. That's a very formal score, it's very specific, it's 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 contracted in, it's uh, there's 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 even regulation around it. Uh, another one might be um, another type of formal score might. Uh, might be your your sort of your your sales someone who joins the sales team will will know what their commission is going to be and their and their target will be so those are very formal skills they're 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 pretty much set in stone they're written they're very much written down and they're part of my kind of remuneration of con contracts so i might face termination if i don't hit my score so those those are the formal score the informal scores are things that are kind of a less 
um, less, um, less, they have less wrapped around them, if you like. They are, uh, you know, how many, how many phone calls am I making this month? Am I doing well on the, on the, on the sort of the general leaderboard? Have I, am I doing well on my social media? Is my LinkedIn doing well? Those kind of, those are, um, they're also scores, but they're just much more, they're much less formal. They haven't been set in stone and made part of the, of the core business process. And, uh, one of the things I would say is that you do see scores move generally along that sort of spectrum over time. So something that starts off very informal may in turn time become quite formalized. Um, so for example, like CIPD points in membership organizations, but they don't, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a scale, it's a sliding scale. You're saying continuing education points, is that what you meant? Yes, yes, continuing yeah. education points. So, 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 so what I'm, I'm thinking that some member organizers might have started off by saying, let's try and encourage people to, um, to do more education. And then they, over time, they might say, well, actually, if someone isn't doing enough education, then they shouldn't be part of this organization and will terminate their membership. So that's, that's a score that might have started quite informally, but has become very formal and is really part of the way in which that organization is structured. For sure. Uh, what's the best way to use gamification to improve performance, whether it's gaming ourselves or people that are working for us, especially in these, um, as companies become really successful, not mm. in the early stages, because everybody's incented to just get the profitability. But when you run a big organization, and that's why the Fortune 500 has changed so much from the beginning, I think there's only two or three companies from the original Fortune 500 that even exist anymore. So how do you go and do that, that you're gonna keep uh, getting increased improvement by individuals and the organization as a whole? Um, so I think, I think the one, what the one thing, if I was a, if I was a fortune 500 CEO, I would, I would make sure I had a, um, uh, just like I might hire a, a kind of a, a chief marketing officer. I would, I would have a, 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 a for want of a better word, a chief continuous performance officer, somebody who's, who, whose job it was, was to make sure, was not so much make sure that my, my metrics for the, the CEO's metrics were being achieved, like the objectives, key results and all of that, and all the share performance. I think that's, that, that's part of the existing systems, but more to say, how do I make sure that every part of my organization is looking at how do we improve performance in, in, a, in a managed way? So, uh, and that would be that would be saying, okay, each little each department should have its own gamification programs and, and multiple ones. But uh, it would be the, the and, and the, the overall objective is to say, how do we how do we make sure that we never stay still? We're always improving everywhere we are. You know, maybe that's what HR should be because so often companies use HR as just handling benefits and firing people. But maybe yeah. a, a good. Um, a good way to leverage uh, HR should be worrying about continuous performance of everybody in the organization and how do we get that um, from them. Yeah, um, I, I, can I, and I think you're absolutely yeah. right. And the one thing I would say is that the, in order for that to happen, I think that HR needs to let go of its of purely formal scores as its remit. Is that is that if if it the point of that continuous performance obviously is to say it's okay for the business to be having informal scores that don't directly link, you know result in someone being being terminated or receiving a bonus. We, it's okay to have think, scores and programs in place which are um, help individuals perform better. 
and, and that could get their overall score up anyway for whatever yeah. you've tasked them for. Yeah. When, uh, when designing a program, what are the five potential roles? You talk about that in the book. Yeah, so in, in the book we talk, so if you're, so imagine you're, you're, you've got your set of um, uh, participants in your program and you're, you, you, you need to discuss, think, how am I going to relate to them? What is the, the role in which I'm taking here? And uh, there are five roles that I've identified as kind of the, the different ones. And I think you know, in lots of situations, I've, I think I've played all the different ones. So um, the, the one we most often think about is the manager role. It's, it's I, am, I am responsible for the organization's goals and I'm trying to corral you into you as my, my, my reports to, towards achieving those goals. So that's kind of the manager's approach to gamification. They're saying these metrics are important to you, um, but because they're important to us as an organization. The, the second type of role is someone who works more like a coach. So the coach's job and it doesn't is not necessarily concerned with how the organization improves, but how the individuals improve. So um, if you think about your personal fitness instructor, they have a sort of a coach mindset. They'll be saying, right, Mark, how have you done 20 burpees this month or 20 sit-ups? Uh, well done, you did 20 more than last month. It, that, that the coach is, is not trying to improve the organization. They're trying to improve the individuals through gamifying them. Um, a commentator is somebody who sits outside the, both the organization and the individual. So uh, for, we talk about Forbes. So when Forbes creates its Forbes 500 or its Forbes 400 list of rich people, it's acting as a commentator. It's saying these are the participants in the gamification, the game, if you like, and this is how they're doing. And the reason that they do that is because they know that the white, there's a wider audience who are interested in that, um, that information. Uh, and then the last two are, are kind of a kind of variants on a theme. There's a referee type, which is really doesn't have any skin in the game. They're completely disinterested, uh, and they 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 really they've been asked to to maintain the program on behalf of the others. So we see that in things like um, circulation numbers for newspapers. There are kind of referee type organisations that like ABC that will that their job is just to make sure that the the numbers are correct. They're auditable, or the national statistics bodies. They tend to be referee type mindsets. And then the final type, this player coach, is somebody who says, well, I'm in, uh, if, I, if I challenge you all to a Fitbit challenge and I say, okay, guys, let's, let's see who can improve the number of steps this week by 10%, that would be me acting as a player coach because I'm going to be doing it for myself too, but I'm, I'm also encouraging everybody else in my, in my organization, everybody, all you guys to try and do it too. Toby, I have to admire, you didn't take the easy way out of that question by just using <laughs> sports examples. Yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, no, no, you use great quality business examples, of, of, which is what everybody needs to hear. Uh, what does a, <clears throat> a player needs analysis and how can businesses use it? Yeah, so, um, so we, we, we're all very familiar with kind of organization-centered design for yeah. our management. So what is the organization need to happen for it to succeed? Um, something like an object OKR type approach, it doesn't really matter, but or just saying these are our KPIs. We, as, as managers, we're, we're very familiar with that. Player-centered design, or it starts with player needs analysis, and it, it's, looking at the, 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 it's looking at it from the point of the person receiving the score, receiving the, the ranking, and saying, how are they gonna, what, what direction do I want them to go in as a result? So 
um, you know, again, let's take our sales reps as an example. So the organization might only really care about sales revenue. It doesn't actually care how that comes about. But a sales manager will might say, well, hang on, I need to design a program that signposts for my reps the behaviors that will help them get that sales revenue. So making a prospect list, making calls and so on. So there's that, there's that difference really there. So player needs analysis is where you start saying, okay, how can I help these, the, my participants uh, what do they need to get better? What feedback do they need to get better at what they're trying to do, achieve? You right here, uh, please talk about player personas and how that figures into developing the right games for performance improvement. Mm. So, um, you know, people respond to these sorts of programs in lots of different ways, different because, because of their conditioning, what they, their experience in the past. Um, so player personas is really about saying, okay, if, if I break down my, uh, the group of people who I'm providing this uh, program for uh, and actually thinking, okay, think, put it, getting inside their head and thinking it from their point of view. So a persona is a way of, of, of kind of categorizing your group. And um, an example might be that you, you might say, okay, we've got for our one program, we might have old hands and new hands. So actually they're going to look at this scoring system in a different way. The old hands are going to be like, uh, we'll be coming at it just, with with less of a kind of a with a how can I maintain my existing status and performance where the new hands will be looking at it saying how can I get better at something I'm just an activity I'm just starting to get good at so player player personas help us to say okay let's break down our audience at the the, the, the player audience into different kind of groups um, how can gamification help you select the right people for the right roles at the right stage of the company yeah I mean I mean, I almost want to send this question back to you. What, I mean, what would you, how would you do it? I mean, I, the, only, the only thing I've, the, the useful thing I've sort of, is kind of really anecdotal really, is I've seen that, that some of the people, the, the, the sorts of staff that look at their gamification and are, are interested in, in, in improving are also the ones that you kind of want to, you, you, you probably as an organization want to promote because anybody who's optimizing for themselves is likely to optimize for others and for their for, for if they're put in charge of something more. So that would be kind of what how I would answer that question. Yeah, I I think that's right. Uh, I would probably go along with the same thing that you said. What what is and what is and what are the best incentives? Like that really money is the best incentive. You know, what are the incentives that really work best with people, or or does it depend on the job? Well, yeah. So, yeah, it, it depends on the job. I mean, you've got in the book, you've got um, the different types. You've got sort of status, you know, getting better at something, access to things, power over others, stuff, cash. There are different ways in which you can incentive people extrinsic externally. I mean, at the end of the day, if you want a program that's going to continue infinitely, then the intrinsic incentives are the best ones, the ones that people want to do themselves, get fit, lose weight, have more friends do well at their job any program that helps people to do do better at something they already want to do is going to succeed long term um what is wrong with mandatory programs yeah so um in and this comes to this kind of this this problem with informal and formal scores and how people look at it is that if you um if you if you if you enforce a program on your participants, what you're saying is you're really kind of saying this is these are these are these are this is what I think is important, uh, and you've got to do it. It's it's a it's a very kind of um, not coercive, but it's a very managerial approach to this. Whereas actually, some of the better programs are you, where you say, listen, 
I, I want to help you get better at your job. I want to help you by giving you good feedback. If you opt into this program, then you're going to get that feedback. And so that opt-in gets you buy-in. They will then, those, those players, are, they're not going to say, oh, this is Toby or this is Mark's program. Ah, to hell with it. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter that I'm doing badly. They're going to say, actually, this is my program and I want to get better at it. So, um, I, I mean, a, a classic example of that might be something like um, Weight Watchers, where you have to pay to lose weight. By getting that, by, by the participants paying, they're getting a much more buy-in than if, say, the state was saying, you must attend this Weight Watching program. How can one convince a manager as to the benefits of gamification when they believe it's an employee's responsibility to do the best they can? Uh, said another way, the company pays the employee to perform their job and do it well. Anything else such as gamification should not be necessary, but it is. I mean, at the end of the day, people still need some kind of motivation and they're only motivated so far in their own self-interest or to get better. So how do you answer that? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's right. And in, and I mean, in some jobs, you know, there isn't a need for gamification, of course. I think that there are, if you think about it again, from the employee's point of view, though, there are, we all like feedback. Uh, we all like to get to know when we're doing a, when if we're doing a good job or we're doing a bad job. So gamification kind of sits in that gap between 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 kind of your annual performance review and 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 just sort of get just doing the work itself. It's it's some it's 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 signposting the the right behaviors and it might be some new behaviors. It might be um, trying to help people with old behaviors. It, again, it depends on context. And so I, I think the benefit of gamification is that it is is that it helps. It, it just gives me again like that land of the blind the one-eyed man is king it just gives me a little bit more visibility of what the right activities and behaviors are to make sure that i do uh, do you know do the job that i'm being paid to do makes me think that we should as a society uh, gamify the leader's role in any country and have them want to succeed in a certain way you know a certain percentage of people uh, end up um, uh, graduating high school, then college, and a certain amount of um, jobs are retained. You know, there should be something, and they're compared from their past uh, presidents or, or prime ministers, and that's how we keep score for them, you know, and see how they do. Um, talk about the value of leagues, and, and, and esports is really the king of this. Mm. Uh, about the concept of leagues because there's all types of leagues in esports and that's like the biggest gamification it's global but what, what's the value of leagues even in business so so in business the, the main value is to, is to give people um some extra information on how they're doing so the key thing that i've learned really is that is that the thing that comes first in a infinite gamification is the score it's how are you doing is much more important than how are you doing vis-a-vis -vis other people. It's also interesting, but it's not, it shouldn't be the, it, ideally it's not the thing that you see first. The thing you see first is, hey, you're doing a good job, or hey, I did better this week than last week, or hey, I did worse last this week than last week. That's, that's the most important thing. The leagues then have their place in, in helping people to see how I'm doing versus the people I see as my peers. And that's where the interesting piece comes in is that, one of the key, one of the things that people often get wrong is they make a great big league with everybody on it and you've got 500 people there. And so the top 10%, the top 50 people are sort of interested in how they're jostling for position. The other 450 are like, well, I, I don't really mind it. I'm, I'm never going to do well. So actually with leagues, it's important to design them as well and say, okay, well, how can I, 
how can I make it, how can I make it look, how can I make it more engaging? And one, and a classic way to do it is to break down that 500 league into maybe, um, into, into maybe 10 smaller leagues by geo or region or by function or whatever it is of, of 50 people in each. And then you're going to get more people are going to be, uh, who, will, who will be, will be able to see themselves jostling for position with, with people who are like them, with peers like them. I find interesting in social media that they've so gamified that, that uh, Facebook has had to make adjustments because people would feel bad. You know, you post a picture, I have an English bulldog and I post a picture of that and I get like 85 likes and I'm trying to game that to get as many likes as possible. And then you uh, mentioned something else that you thought was really interesting and two people uh, thought that was interesting and now you feel bad about yourself and you go to the local bar and drink your day away because you only got those two likes. So how have social uh, platforms really impacted and uh, how they use gamification to keep people you know, on those platforms for hours and hours? What's the average that people spend five hours a day on these platforms or more? Yeah, no, it's crazy. And they, and they're, 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 a, they're a good example of, of, of how the score, the, we're, we're getting these new scores that we didn't have 10, 20 years ago because of the digitization of, in this case, communicate, social communication has now led to these scores. Now, um, the conversation I'd want us to be having is exactly what you say. I mean, what, why we are, we are, we are, we two billion people have all, are all blindly accepting the score that has been given to us by Facebook as to whether our content is valuable or not. Now, I, arguably, we should all be, we should have some controls over it. And we should, maybe we have different scores for different countries or you have a different way of talking about it. But there's lots of conversations we had. But the, 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 the key point is that we need to be aware that we've been given a score and think, is that a good score or a bad score? Is it, is that score helping me in the direction that I want to go? Or is it actually just helping Facebook in the direction that they want to go? Um, I don't have the right, I don't, again, I don't have the answer to it, but the, 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 the key is to, rec the, first, the first step is to recognize that you're being gamified, yes. I mean, it's funny, I wrote this piece about my father for Father's Day, and as I saw the numbers going up, I found that I was paying more attention to it throughout the day uh, and to see how I was doing, but I could see where people put a picture of something, you know, maybe it's their daughter uh, going mm -hmm. to the prom, and if the daughter doesn't get a lot of um, likes, then they feel like bad, and then the daughter feels inadequate. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the classic one, if you come across um, streaks on Snap, Snapchat, have you come across that one where, so, so the, the, way that, the way that they've done it is that if I, I have to, I, the two, two people talking to each other on Snapchat, they have to um, send each other a message every day in order to maintain the streak. So if we and I were chatting every day, we'd get, every day we get another day on a streak. And then you have people losing friends because someone forgot to do a Snapchat <laughs> and destroys the streak. And so, so actually it, it, it can become a genuine sort of um, argument between people. That explains why I used to have five kids and now I only have two. So <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's the most common pitfalls and mistakes made when people are developing games that they think are going to improve the performance of people? Yeah, I think, I think we mentioned some of them earlier, didn't we? I mean, the main thing I see is people being too complicated to begin with. I, you, it, it's amazing what a spreadsheet will do to a manager once they, once they get stuck into trying to create their gamification program. So uh, we look at other gamification programs and like your baseball statistics, for example, and we see 
the, the end of the evolution process. We see a very mature score and we think when we create something, we've got to create a mature score, but that's not true. We create, when we create things, it starts nice and simple, you know, who makes the most tea or just keep it very sort of one or two metrics. Um, so that's one of the common pitfalls. And the other one is, is, is getting the incentives wrong. It, it, so it's, it's, it, we're talking about this carrot and stick and it, and I, and I have to reiterate, it is difficult and I don't know the, I, I don't know the answer for each context, but I think, I think that a lot of managers tend to just throw a big incentive at it. And then um, in, 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 it's trying to shortcut the whole kind of evolution process of finding the right feedback. Because as soon as you put a big reward in it, no one's going no to contest whether those are the right metrics or not. They'll just do everything they can to, make, to do the best on those metrics. So, um, so the two things, starting too complex and incentivizing too much too early, I think are the, the most common pitfalls. Can the data ever help identify hurdles that get in the way of an employee improving their scores? Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's a whole that that's a whole area that you can you can use as well. Yeah. So you are going to get data uh, on on employees uh, that that if you if you use it in the right way if, as part of the program. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. So so with our faults engineer program, actually one of the guys who they thought who they knew was a good employee and was doing a really good job had this terrible score and they were looking at it and thinking well, what on earth is going on here and actually when they looked so that that took that that was kind of almost the the canary in the gold mine that that triggered the 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 managers to then go and look at how that employee was using the, the, the system and it, it ended up as really simple he wasn't closing his faults properly on the computer system he just he wasn't closing them so they looked like they were never finished so that, yeah, so that's a, an example where, where because you're gamifying the data, the data, the quality of the data gets so much better. I have two final questions for you here. Uh, how do you stop people from gaming the system? Yeah, so gaming the system is, is gaming the system I think of is when people find a cheap way to, to, to win. Uh, that that that, is, that isn't what you wanted them to do. That's how you think of it. But the the the, the kind of the cloak is the, the quote to sort of bear in mind. And again, it's in the book. Don't blame the gamer, blame the game. So if if people are gaming the system, it means that you need to change the game. Uh, and it might be that there's a cheap there's there's some cheap ways to gain points that shouldn't be there. And so you can again, if if as long as you've got this mindset and narrative around, we're going to evolve. We're going to we're going to update the score, then you've got the flexibility to change it and to, to, to move it away from those gaming kind of gaming behaviors, which are, are damaging and not what you want. Last question for you. What is the future of gamification and how do you see it changing? Yeah, well, the, um, I think, I mean, I think we, I mean, I like your point about this being part of HR and this being an upskilling of the whole HR role. I think, I think, I think gamification in, in that sense would be, would be great. Um, I think I think I think it's a skill that any any business manager, any any business leader should have. They should we should all we should all be taught it at business school or wherever that that just that that those sort of some of the basics around infinite gamification. You know, how do I get uh, what is a good, well-designed program? What is a badly designed program? What 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 can happen when I sort of signpost the right scores and the, all the wrong scores? And so uh, so for me, it's it's. It's, it's the twofold. It's one, it's, it's, a, it's a skill that each of us need as leaders, but also secondly, it's, a, it's something that, that organizations adopt at, a, at, a, at, a, at a quite a corporate, at a, an HR type level, but as something that we talked about, sort of trying not so much top down, this is how we want to measure you, but more we want everybody within the organization to try and imp continuously improve.
Toby, I can't say how much I appreciate you uh, talking to us from England today. Uh, I thought I loved your energy and uh, you were great at answering the questions. Everybody uh, got a lot out of it. And it's a topic that we've been reading more and more about and we're going to continue to hear more about. So uh, I hope you sell a lot of books. I hope some of the folks here buy your book. And um, let us know when you write the next book. Great. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Enjoy so, the rest of your weekend. Take care and thanks again. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye.